Thank you, man. Appreciate that. Thanks, Chase. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Happy spring. It's a beautiful day outside, especially if you like snorting pollen. I've enjoyed that the last few days. Lines of it right off the hood of the car, right? <laughs> and I don't even care because the sun's out. So um, it's good to see you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Luke. I'd love to meet you after the service. Um, but if you brought a Bible or you're using an app or you just go to Google or whatever, go ahead and bang in John 19. John 19 is not just a key passage for today, but I think it's going to be a key passage as we march forward um, for the next several weeks. It's kind of a, a cornerstone passage for us. It's not where I'm even going to start. I'm going to start in Isaiah 43 while you're turning to John. Isaiah 43 is God speaking to a people that are in a crummy situation. Um, they're living in a dysfunctional present, and it's because of their dysfunctional past. So they're looking behind them, and everything's broken. They're looking at their current living situation, and everything is broken. And God says this as he is talking about his rescue of the same people. He says, remember not the former things. Nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And this would be repeated from a better prophet in Jesus who would say something very similar whenever he says the old has passed away and behold the new is come. It's, it's difficult for you and me to look ahead when we're so tempted to look behind us. And let yesterday bring some definition to our future. And just as Amanda said, we're starting a new series today on family and on reclaiming family. Really more than a series, to be honest with you. It's going to feel more like a campaign because we're going to leverage as much as we can in this direction. You'll get more details in the next two or three weeks. But this week we're launching another website alongside legacy, and that is Reclaiming Families. And it's going to be full of podcasts. Um, it's going to be full of blog posts. We'll be marrying with this classes, videos, whatever we need to do. We're going to lean as much as we can into this. Even up here from the stage, on top of just bringing a sermon every week that's going to be geared towards family, and I'm using the broadest sense of the word when I say family, we'll be, we'll be dedicating kiddos, a lot of them. Um, because we want to celebrate new life, new additions to our family. We'll be seeing baptisms over the next several weeks. And that is because we want to celebrate people from different families becoming a part of God's bigger family. And so we wanted to do this because here's one reason, anyway. The American family, and I think we can all agree on this, has taken a little bit of a beating in the last 12 to 13 months, not just because of a pandemic, although we have learned a lot because of the pandemic. We've learned how fragile our families are. We've learned how not all marriages were ready for this low boil tension of a quarantine. It wasn't a second honeymoon for everybody in here, right? We learned that marriages and families lack a sense of direction or mission or some sense of purpose, which is why some of you even caught yourself saying out loud to other people in your family, why are we doing this? Like, what, what, what is the purpose of our life? And why are we doing what we're doing? We learned that when major traumas come along, they kind of find us ill-equipped to deal with them, whether it's a lost job or some sort of diagnosis. 
We learned how easy it, it is to carry our past junk and baggage from our old lives into our new ones and just download it into whatever the situation is that we're in. We've learned that we all have personality quirks, even without sin involved. Personalities can be difficult and exhausting to navigate, right? We've learned that we don't fight well to the glory of God. I'm a big proponent, especially in marriages, of fighting well. I think it's okay to fight as long as you fight to the glory of God. I don't think we do that very well. I also don't think we celebrate to the glory of God, laugh to the glory of God, make memories to the glory of God very well either. We learned that we are kind of fearful of what other people think about us and how we raise our kids. We've learned that. We've learned that if you're single or divorced or widowed, you could be in a community and still feel alone. We've learned that we pick up more culture than we think we do. We learned a lot, right? And not only did the pandemic kind of reveal where all these hairline cracks had always been hiding, but families have also suffered Western civilization and really our society deconstructing family right before our eyes, particularly over the last two decades where we're redefining even what life is, (laughs) where life even starts where we redefine what a gender is, where we redefine what roles are, where we redefine what marriage is, where we take this thing called sex and we deconstruct it from something that is sacred and we make it something very casual and selfish, right? And those are just a few of the tectonic shifts that we've been seeing in this thing we call family, right? Forget the fact that now we're asking questions whether marriage and kids are even a blessing, This is a church question. People, Christians are asking whether getting married is a blessing or a curse. Whether having kids is a blessing or a curse. Add to all of this, the pandemic, culture. Add to this the fact that our enemy loves to destroy the image of God and the story that God tells all of us. Loves to. We've been looking at this a little bit the last few weeks, how our our enemy has a primary job description to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is particularly aimed at the image of God and the gospel of God, the good news of God. So whenever you and I, when we devalue family and treat it as nothing, the enemy wins. But if we take family and we elevate it and make it ultimate, guess what? The enemy still wins. The enemy still wins. The enemy doesn't care if you have a well-behaved family, one that doesn't embarrass you in public, because even family can be an idol. Here's a newsflash. If you've read the Bible, family is not first. That's something that's not popular in the Deep South. Family is not first. The kingdom of God is first. But blood, friends, is not thicker than water. I know we've grown up hearing that. We say it like it came out of the Bible. And that's going to be a struggle, especially for our demographic here. But think about the kingdom's economy, this new kingdom economy. If it is one where we lose our life in order to gain a life, to gain our new life, then the way to reclaiming family is at minimum going to be to question and at times correct what we call family values, what we call sacred to us. But I'll tell you, the enemy would rather you not do that. He'd rather you not do that at all. He'd rather family stay first, which is the quickest way to destroy your family. Here's the big disclosure for you. I am not qualified to teach any of this from experience, all right? I'd hope that by the age of 45, I would have this idea of how to do this thing called family. I'm just going to disappoint you if all we're going to do is rest on my experience. I don't even have a model family, right? I don't. It's full of its own tensions and awkwardness 
in weirdness, in laughter, in winds, in pains. We're, I'm just like you. We, the Thomas family, we're just like you. We're broken people connected together because of genetics, doing the best we can and depending on God to get us through the whole thing. Asking, depending, needing the Holy Spirit to do a work with us. I have a growing and budding 22-year marriage to the woman of my dreams who is still super way out of my league. I have a son in college now who is bigger than me, tougher than me. He is far less high-strung than me. I have a teenage daughter, also about to be in college, far cooler than I am. She made fun of me. She corrected me in my, as we ordered it at Chick-fil-A. She thought it was hilarious that I was ordering like, you know, I don't know, like my grandpa or something. She's just cooler than me. And she's got a, a much better social awareness than I do. She's funner than I am. I've got, I've got a tween girl who is already far from college yet smarter than me and a better servant, right? She's, she's always thoughtful for other people. I am the least impressive person in my clan. And my clan will tell you, I have awkwardness. I have my own issues. I have my own weirdness. And this is why not many pastors love to go through campaigns or even a sermon series on family. Because my family is my billboard. And I'm exposed. I'm comfortable admitting I have a lot of growing to do. And I need God's spirit to be a father and to be a husband and to do it well. I've done some things well and I have some regrets as well. And in the midst of all of this, there is grace. God has given me and my family great grace. The same grace he's giving you. God is good in our weaknesses and in our inadequacies and in our boneheaded decisions. And the things that we should have done and we didn't do. The things that we shouldn't have done and we did do. God has grace in all of that. So... The only thing I'm going to cling to in this campaign is not my experience but the gospel. Okay, that I can promise. That's it. I'm going to agree with Paul. I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ from the cross. And that's my goal for you. Do this whole thing is to lead you to the cross. Not to pro tips and techniques. Okay. Not going to have a lot of those for you. All the major ground that my family has covered over the last 20-something years was not done with cool pro tips and techniques and willpower and creativity, but was done by the gospel itself. All the big things. Now, we might have picked up a few tools here and there to grease the wheels and make some things a little bit easier. How to go on a date when you've known them for two decades, right? How to discover your spouse when you think that you've already learned everything there is to discover. How to parent kids as they grow. Your parenting needs to evolve and change. How to do that. There are some techniques. But the big hits, the ruthless decisions, the knots that keep us up at night, they resist the strategies and the techniques and the pro tips. They demand something stronger in order to contend with them. And that's going to be the gospel. Right? Part of the reason people struggle with family is because churches have spent a lot of time bringing techniques and strategies to fix what is ultimately a gospel displacement. It's a gospel failure. It's like bringing an aspirin to a hip displacement, right? You're gonna get, you might feel like things are going to be better, but ultimately they're not going to be any better. And I even recognize that as I say, the gospel will be our remedy through growing robust families. 
whatever that family looks like for you. As I say that, I know it might sound foreign to some people. How can a story fix or stabilize my marriage or my family? How can a story do that? And it is God's good news. It's the one that that has the power of salvation for you and me as we trust in the centerpiece of that story, which is Christ and Christ crucified. That's true. Does save us. Also sustains us, though. The gospel doesn't just rescue us. The gospel rescues us into a different life in which it sustains us as we enjoy Jesus more and more and more and more satisfied and content in him over time. Broken hearts, fatigue, bitterness, that stuff that comes up in family, the only remedy is going to be trusting in the same gospel that made you a Christian. That's my goal. My goal is I, I want your family to grow no matter what stage your family is in. And we're all in different stages, right? I think overall we're a youngish church, overall, right? Which means that the overwhelming questions walking in our door is not leaning into how to retire well, but how to not screw our kids up, <laughs> right? That's going to be the big questions we have, but that's only for a little while longer. If I had the exact same people in six or seven years, our, our questions change. We have a, a giant teen ministry at that point. And then, it, then the questions are, how do I parent my teen? And, and then after that, it might be, how do I keep my marriage just beautiful? How do I keep my marriage groomed now that the kids are gone? What about retirement, how that changes things? What about when your parents start aging? What about when your parents start dying? You see, at this age, we all go to more weddings than we do funerals. But let me tell you, the the arc to your storyline will be one day you will start seeing more funerals than you do weddings. That's a different set of questions. That's a different set of questions entirely. Different gospel applications. Same gospel. Same gospel, though. All of these questions are going to be solved by the same posture. It's one of carrying a cross, bearing a burden, right? We get this from John 19, so that should be where you're turned. John 19, very simple passage. And he went out, Jesus. And Jesus went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. That's it. Simple passage to read excruciating to live out, difficult to live out. Before this in Matthew, he would say that in order to come after him, we would have to deny ourselves and pick up our own cross. You see, the picture we see in the gospel is one where Jesus carries his own burden for his own family, for his family. He's the better brother. He's the better groom. And likewise, you and me, we walk in a similar way. We walk in such a way that Our family fixing is gospel framed, and we do it by carrying the cross as well. You will in different ways and in different times apply the same gospel to family problems. Listen, if you want to build a family for the ages, that's what it's going to require. All of us bearing our own burdens as we grow in our satisfaction for what God has given us in the gospel over the satisfaction we think our family is going to give to us if we demand it hard enough from them. When we're satisfied with God over all things, we stop breaking our marriages and breaking our families out of this demand that it finish us, complete us, satisfy us. Listen, even if you're single today or you're watching and you're single, my goal is to help you set good coordinates for family if Growing a family in the broadest sense of the term is something that God has for you. 
the wisest thing you can do is take a, take a ton of notes, right? Not because I'm an awesome teacher, but because culture is going to fight me for your attention. It's got a bunch of definitions for you on what a good marriage looks like and what a healthy family looks like, and there is a lot on the line. When I started building my family, which started on my wedding day, when I started building my family, all I had was a couple of years of Christianity in, 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 in my pocket. That's it. Like 22 months of this thing called a Christian life. So really all I had to show me what a marriage and what a family would look like were sitcoms from the 90s and the 80s. That's what I had. And an Ivy League education from whatever locker room I had made my way through in my younger years or just years of watching my mom and dad try to figure it out. That's all I had. That's all I had. I knew more about the Taco Bell menu than I did about how to be a good husband. I had no coordinates. None. I was learning on the clock and it was painful. It was painful for my wife. It was painful for me. It was painful. Do not tune out on the next couple months if you're single that would be a disservice to you and to your future family. And yeah, we're going to talk about being single and divorced and widowed. Because those are touch points for the gospel and the gospel has a ton to say about it. Right? Listen, even if you never get married and form a family in the traditional sense, you are in a community made of families. You're in a church family, I guess you can say, which is just as much a family as any family. This is hard for us to believe in the South because I'm approaching what is called sacrosanct. This is a golden cow. I'm walking right up to it. This is what it says in Luke 8. I'm not saying this. Jesus is saying this, okay? Remember that. Luke says, then his mother, this is Jesus, Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And Jesus was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Sounds rude to me. Sounds disrespectful. And that's why a lot of times when we read it, we think he meant something else that's real mystical and you'd have to know Hebrew or Greek to figure out what it is. But we're too busy for that, so we just move on to the next passage. Right? He couldn't possibly mean what he just said. Right? But he's redefining family, is he not? He's redefining family. We're a family, which means we're not alone. There's no such thing as a single Christian. There's no such thing as an independent, firewalled family. My family, the Thomas clan, my family is the church's business. And if you're single, your singleness is too. But just think about our missional communities for a moment. Are those not just family gatherings of sorts where we all get together brothers and sisters and those who are skeptical and searching and who are yet to be brothers and sisters is that not some sort of a family gathering and is this not a family reunion where we all gather around the table of communion and have a family meal that's what church is that's what he's pushing for do you see why the enemy hates this thing called family do you see why he steals and kills and destroys. And even though he does those things, he doesn't do it to God because he can't. So he goes for the next best thing, whatever is in God's image. In the sense that we do the same thing as humanity, right? This is why humanity will desecrate a holy place. 
right? What are they doing? They're attacking an entity even though they can't attack the entity. This is why you tear up your prom pictures when that guy was rude to you or that girl dumped you or whatever. This is why you burn the belongings from that person that did you wrong or why in riots people will burn images of politicians. You can't destroy the real person, but you can do the next best thing. You can destroy an image of them. The enemy, as boringly predictable as he is, is doing the same thing. He goes for the image of God and the story that God tells, which is why he goes after things like the church. He's he's after this. He wants to destroy this. Not because he, he cares about the smile on your face, but because this is proof that Jesus' blood is powerful because it created a people, right? That means he's going to attack me. Our, our pastors, our pastoral residents, if you're leading a missional community and you're a living room, if you're hosting something like that, he's after you too. This is why he's after your marriage, right? It's, it's, the, it's the most basic institution we have in America, and it's the most beautiful illustration of the gospel of one of a bride and a groom. That's why he's after it. That's why he's after your family. That's why he's after you. That's why abortion's a thing. The enemy wants to destroy anything in the image of God and the story that God tells. And let me just say, cute techniques are not going to hold him at bay. So I'm not going to be focusing on the six steps to a sizzling love life or nine ways to make perfect teenagers. How boring, right? I mean, you might walk out of here and feel a little bit, like, prepared, right? A little bit equipped. And the enemy would love for me to teach you how to just give it the best you've got. But better behavior is not our goalpost. Our goalpost is a holiness that comes through enjoying Jesus above all things. My goal is that you and your spouse and your kids and your grandkids and your grandparents and your in-laws and all the weird-looking family tree that we all carried in here with us that we're all saying, is Jesus more satisfying to me than this? Those are the questions. Am I, am I walking as one enjoying Jesus Or do I need this person to complete me? I I need my kids to complete me. I need my husband or my wife to complete me. I need this thing to to, to fix me. Being a cross-shaped family, you can certainly use techniques, but to be a cross-shaped family, you cannot depend on techniques. It's a long introduction, right? Here's the thing. I just wanted to spend some time separating the goals that the world has for a better family than the one that the Bible has. So my first point, I'm not majoring on tips. Okay? The second one, I'm going to spend a fraction of the time on. Two points. This one's a little quicker. Because I'd love to get in front of one of the biggest things that are going to slow all of our growth down in something like a campaign like this. This is the fear that your past is going to be your future. That you can't quit looking behind you. Many of us are scared that we will always be the same And so what we've had is always what we'll have, right? And sometimes you don't even think it out loud or say it out loud, but but it's rattling around in all the decisions that you make. I mean, did you catch me earlier when I said that my wife was out of my league? Right. It's something that we say. She's out of my league. Usually guys are saying that. If you're a smart guy, you're saying that, right? But I'm also saying it because I know myself. I know myself. I cannot forget a lifetime of evidence that points to someone like my wife and tells me in the back of my head, don't even think about it. She's out of your pay grade, friend, because I know who I am. I know what I bring with me. All of us came from families that were not perfect. 
We carry around patterns and baggage with us, don't we? We carry our baggage right up to the altar and put it down. Where someone else walks up to the same altar with their baggage and they put it down. And then you put all that baggage together and make babies. And then you hand some of that baggage to your babies, don't you? And then they carry it forward and then they start their life. Our lives, they fall on this plot line, this storyline. But it began on someone else's storyline long before you. Millions, billions of decisions were made to get you to the place where you're at right now sitting in that chair. Billions of decisions. Some of those decisions you'd be excited about. Some of them you wouldn't sign off on, right? I'm going to put a picture up on the screen for you of this guy named Bill. There he is. Good looking guy, right? He didn't look very happy in that picture. That's Bill. Looks like a mug shot. And that's because he's about to be tossed into the brig. He was court-martialed for being absent without leave from his marine base. He and his best friend George vanished from their marine base in the 40s. Um, they were about to be shipped out to Iwo Jima. So they got in the car and they raced to their sweethearts. And they gave their, their hearts to these women. And they begged them to wait for them to get back from the war so that they could start families together. They pledged their love to these women. And they made it back to base in time. But they got busted, so they did get court-martialed. They made it on the boat, were shipped off to Iwo Jima. George would never make it back. He'd die on that island. Bill, this guy, his face would be disfigured from a wound that would later kill him. But not before he made it back to Fremont, California and started a family. My mom being his daughter. Bill is my grandpa. Now, I've never met him, Right? But I am here because he went absent without leave. I'm here because he said, court martial, well, that would be a bad thing. But she's hot. And I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to make stuff happen. And he also made millions of decisions to even get him to that marine base. To get him to that point. Or the state of California. Or to even meet this woman whose name was Euphemia. Because that's how we named people back then, right? Or consider the story of Jake, right? Jake is this guy who is evil, he's a cheater, he's a scandal, he is um, always thieving from other people. And even while his dad was dying, he talked his dad into giving him more money in his, in his inheritance. And then he goes off to wickedly cheat and steal other people and he builds a dysfunctional family. High dysfunctional marriage. They have dysfunctional kids. One of these dysfunctional kids, Joe, goes on to do the best he can. But his brothers hated him so much they sold him into human trafficking. I'm talking about Joseph. Jacob and Joseph, right? Listen, family has never been first, first of all. <laughs> you read that story. But later on in Genesis 50, 20, this dysfunctional situation produces Joseph. And he says, as for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Interesting that our stories are at the mercy of God, and yet they flow through the stories of other people, producing us in this very moment as we sit here. Right? Consider how much real estate in your Bible is given to genealogies. Someone's always begetting somebody. Someone's somebody's father or somebody's son. It's all over the Old Testament. And it shows you and me that no one is independent and unto themselves. Everybody was formed by somebody, influenced by somebody, wounded by somebody, 
benefited by somebody. Everybody is. Your story, it reveals that you're a part of a much bigger story, full of bizarre characters and even more bizarre decisions, right? So no matter how much you like to think that you are self-made or self-shaped, or no matter how much you'd like to think that you can control your own personality and your own destiny and your own future, you are on a plot line of a much bigger story, a much bigger one. And God builds this story for his glory and for your ultimate good. And here we are today. Here we are today. And this is why this is a struggle for a lot of us, stepping into something like this. Because some of us have good memories for how we were brought up. Some of us not so much of our family situation. Most of us it's mixed, right? And we don't really know how to interpret that. We don't know what to do with that. But most of us suspect that because of our past being toxic, it leaves us no, no choice but to really have a toxic future. We don't see anywhere where else to put our baggage down, so we just carry it with us our whole lives. We know ourselves painfully well. Let me just tell you and encourage you that you are not your genealogy. You are not your family tree. You are a new creation. You're not doomed to carry your past forward. And then really the big question is, how do we let go of our mistakes? The ones that we've made and, and the mistakes others have made that have affected us. How do we put those things down and just move on? How do we do this? How can, how can we not download our history into tomorrow? And the answer is not with willpower or with strategies or techniques or discipline, but with the gospel. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3. I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. He's forgetting it. It's, 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 not, it's not a selective amnesia. It's a gospel amnesia. I'm forgetting it. I'm forgetting everything that was behind me, and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal. That's the tape. That's the finish line. I'm pressing on towards the tape for the prize, the wreath, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a gospel forgetfulness that he is carrying with him, with Jesus in view. And this is what it says in Lamentations 3.22 to show us how often we need to apply that gospel. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Only by revisiting the gospel, forgetting what is behind you, and doing this every single day, Every single day will we grow. Will we grow past yesterday and not be defined by yesterday? Because listen, you're going to make decisions that are dumb, boneheaded, selfish, and they're going to have ramifications. They're going to affect your kids, your grandkids, your spouse. They're going to affect you. You're going to do it. And God yet covers a multitude of our worst moments with his singular best moment on the cross. This we know. He takes our baggage. He takes our baggage. We bring it to the cross. We put it down. We leave. We are a new creation. No longer are we defined by our timelines. We're on one, but it doesn't tell us who we are. Your history is not your destiny, even though the enemy's going to tell you different. Right? The enemy's going to tell you that you are just like your mom, that you're just like your dad. 
and nothing's going to change. In fact, listen, some of you have said that to your spouse. You are just like your mom. You're just like your dad. Let me just encourage you not to do that. You're reinforcing something that the enemy is excited to have played out, right? They are not their genealogy. The enemy wants to destroy you and your family. Both are in God's image. I think that's a good time for us to remind the enemy that he doesn't even know the half of it. In Martin Luther's terms, this is how Martin Luther would deal with it. Whenever he would hear accusations from the enemy, he would say, is that all you've got? I've done far worse than that. I see your list. Let me add a few items to your list. And then he would complete the list of all the accusations. And he said, and but Jesus. But listen, Jesus. Jesus changes it all. And he preached the gospel to himself, reminding this enemy that he doesn't know the half of it. The homework I want you to do today as we take communion and carry throughout the week with you is this. What have you been most concerned about dragging into your future family? What addiction is it? Anxiety, fear, what problem? What scar tissue do you have that is dictating your life even today? Those are tough questions, but they're worth asking. And as we go through the series, we're going to unpack different magnitudes and applications for exactly how that looks. But listen, if you're here, you're watching online, and you would say that you're not a Christian. Maybe you're skeptical, maybe you're looking, maybe you're curious. Maybe you're checking it out. Maybe you're not even sure because you did that thing at church camp when you were like nine and you don't know if it took. You don't even know what it means. You prayed a prayer, but you don't even remember praying it. Everyone clapped. You don't know what that means. Even if that's you, listen. Family was meant to show you pieces of who God is. When your mother took care of you and had an enduring patience, was supposed to show you what God looks like. A father's instruction. A father's discipline. Your parents' sacrifice. A marriage shows responsibility. It shows, again, sacrifice. Others' centeredness. All of this is to paint this portrait of who God it is. And maybe it's been hard for you to see it because there is sin in this thing called family. And it breaks the image that we have. Let me just say that Jesus took what was deserved by all of the sin in our family and all the families of the world. Jesus took what was deserved by all family sin to the cross with him. The abuse, the neglect, the pain, and God's anger against such sin was placed on Christ so that you could be added to a much bigger family. This is why Jesus talks about being born again to Nicodemus. Born again into what? To a different family. A new family, the one that Jesus was talking about when his family was outside trying to get through. That family. There is room for you in this family. There's room for you. Go ahead and stand with me. We're going to take communion together as we close this out. And listen, if you don't have one of these cups and you wanted one and you walked in and you didn't get one or you, you didn't even know that they were there, um, if we could get somebody to go out and grab those. Do we have anybody that can go out and grab that plate? And then bring it in. We'll take communion. So I say this every week. I know it's going to sound like a public service announcement. (laughs) But if you are a Christian and you're not a part of Legacy, we totally and fully invite you into this moment. Even though that this is the family meal that we were talking about. There they are. These good looking guys have the plates. So if if you need one, raise your hand and they'll get it to you. They'll toss it to you. This is the family meal I'm talking about. And our weekly family reunion where we all gather together. Where this blood and body of a better brother, 
A better groom is celebrated in remembrance. Jesus carried his own burden, not just to show you how to do family, but to free you to be family. It's to remember what he did to build a better family. It's to remember what he did to perfect what Isaiah said. He's a perfection of what we let off with when Isaiah said, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And that's what a broken body and spilled blood will do. It will make a new way for us. So let's take this together and let's pray and give this moment to the Lord as we go into worship. Father, we thank you for this wafer. It's just a wafer. But it, res- it, it, it is it's a reflection of much more. It is a reflection of your body broken. Because you are the better Joseph who was destroyed, not just by the works of our hands, but by the sovereign and brilliant will and strategy and thoughtfulness of the Father. It was something that God did, and it is something that we did. And this broken body is symbolic that he is the better brother. So we take this in remembrance of you. And then this juice is more than juice. I mean, it's not more than juice, but it's a reflection of the blood that was spilled on the cross. To call us into something. This This is how we are born again. Not just born once into a natural family, but born twice. Born into a spiritual family full of brothers and sisters. And Lord, as we take this, we do so in celebration and remembrance of the bigger family you created. So, Father, we thank you for this moment of family where we worship his family. We sing, we pray, take communion, we give, we serve, we volunteer, we laugh, we eat lunch together. All of this is family. And it wasn't a cheaply built one. It cost blood, body of a perfect life lived. And we're also thankful that the tomb is empty. We don't stop celebrating that. That the tomb is empty means that we are free to walk forward and leave our past behind, not because we try really hard to forget or we deny what was done to us, but because we are a new creation. And our baggage was dropped at the cross. And we are free to treat our spouses as a new creation, as we ourselves are a new creation, that we are free to raise our kids and our kids' kids and their kids as one who is a new creation, full of grace, full of mercy, because we too have received grace and mercy. So Lord, I pray that as we sing, that you would show us what it is that we're carrying into tomorrow that does not belong. What lie, what addiction, what thing has plagued us in the past and we simply will not put it down. And we're scared that it's gonna ruin the rest of our lives. And all we hear is the enemy telling us that we are just like our parents. Or of course we're going to screw up everything because that's all we do. We just screw up the good things around us. Lord, that we would carry those accusations to the cross, taking those thoughts captive and reminding ourselves, our family, and anyone who will listen, that we are a new creation born into a new family by the grace and the power of God. So Lord, we love you. We sing as much in your name. Amen.